I'd like to reflect some more with you about the body as uh, as very large, that our bodies are very large. Uh, our bodies include um, everything. And I talked a little bit about uh, the uh, the... I talked a little bit this morning about the four elements and maybe you've been doing some contemplation uh, just connecting with um, these elements internally and externally. Um, when we eat, you know, maybe when you, when you had your lunch, you looked the food and, uh, and recognized how this was the earth uh, feeding you and the earth becoming the body becoming the earth element in the body, the fire element in the body, the water element in the body and there are many ways to uh, reflect on this, um, this really, uh, I think, transformative insight that we're not this little package uh, covered by skin. That that who we truly are is um, is everything. We can, we can just consider, you know, what what science knows about the uh, the very beginnings of the universe. Um, it's usually called the Big Bang, but there's a um, uh, a cosmologist named Brian Swim who calls it the flaring forth of the universe in those very first moments. And then very, within a very short time after that, there was the birth of stars. <clears throat> well, even before the birth of stor- stars, there was the, the, the coming together of particles to form hydrogen atoms. And hydrogen atoms are in- an integral part of water and of many of the uh, molecules that are in the body. So let me just ask you a question. You know, an ordinary question. How old are you? You know, so you might say 25, 30, 40, 50, 60. How about, what is it, 12 billion years old? when we think about the components of this body. And, and of course, there are other kinds of contemplations uh, which expand the mind, that the water that we drink, you know, is the same water that's been drunk from the very first life. It's the same water that that uh, gave 
gave birth to the earliest uh, life forms and from which life crawled out onto the earth and that the, the, uh, the dinosaurs drank and that Julius Caesar drank and the Aboriginal people here in North America drank. And it cycled, it cycled again and again. And that's 85% of our being is water. So, so what is this body? What is this body? And, and its aliveness is so mysterious, so <coughs> wonderful, that this, this body has subjectivity and uh, awareness. <clears throat> There's a, um, a poem by Mary Oliver that I like. It's called What the Body Says. I was born here, and I belong here, and I will never leave. The blue heron's gray smoke will flow over me for years, and the wind will decide all directions until I am safely and entirely something else. I am thinking of this, this winter morning, as I sit by the fire, and the fire in its red rack keeps singing its crackling song. Keeps singing its crackling song of transformation. Of course, I wonder about the mystery that is surely up there in starry space and how some part of me will go there at last. But I am talking now of the way the body, of the way the body speaks and the wind that keeps saying firmly, lovingly, a little while, and then this body will be stone. Then it will be water. Then it will be air. So this body even in its current form, is, com- is continually changing, continually becoming something new, aging, growing, changing interiorly as, as our awareness develops, as our... As our exchange with the body, mindful presence in the body develops. That also changes the body. (coughs) 
I'd like to also bring into the reflection about uh, some some ref- into this reflection some consideration of how we understand our body, how we understand this body to be a body, and the different ways that we've been taught, educated, conditioned, influenced in in understanding our bodies. When we were born, we were completely vulnerable, completely dependent. And so whatever uh, we feel about how we were brought up by our families, there has to be some gratitude that we survived, that we were cared for, we were fed, we were protected. Um, we were nurtured in this, in this really uh, in extreme vulnerability that a human infant is. I've just um, recently become a grandmother. Uh, in fact, I saw my granddaughter being born. I was there. And um, it's, it's quite amazing, uh, this, this experience of life coming forth from uh, a woman's body. And, um, uh, and, and this, little, this little being, not so little, she was 9 pounds 14 ounces, <laughs> so <laughs> a pretty healthy baby. <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, quite vulnerable, quite dependent. And... Uh, um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to see my son and his partner uh, just responding and caring for this little being. <clears throat> so, were we born male, female? How did the world respond to us in this way? Uh, what did we learn about our bodies, how do, we, how do we think about ourselves as a woman or a man, and about this particular being? Were you told you were beautiful, that you were handsome? Were you told that you needed to be desirable? Um, so how do we think about the body? It, it really has a deep effect on how we experience the body. What does our culture tell us? What's reflected in our culture about what the body is? So we think that the attitudes that we have, the way that we think about ourselves, is very personal, that it's, it's me, it's who I am. But there's so many conditions that have formed us, have formed the way we just feel our bodies, the way we move, the way we feel that we, are, we want to be daring or we want to be self-protective. Um, our sensitivities, 
sensitivities to foods, to, to smells, to different kinds of energies. All of these are conditionings that may be genetic and they also may be uh, from things that we've experienced. Our bodies ourselves, our bodies themselves, the very structure, the, the way we think about and feel and experience our bodies, arise from so many conditions. You know, we can think about evolution and, and how life evolved from these very, very simple organisms, the mystery of the very beginnings of life, where it started, how it started. And then, and then this, this kind of um, uh, creativity, this profound creativity that experimented in so many amazing ways uh, with life forms. And this, this form emerged and in and in the uh, the time of gestation of a human being those those evolutions are repeated in the uh, in the in utero in in the in the womb of the mother the as the baby is forming from an embryo embryo to a fetus to an infant as it emerges so uh, so many elements to consider in the body. So when we think of this this little package as who I am, we're we're really just taking. Uh, such a, a, a tiny piece of the whole. We're really uh, reducing down incredibly to, uh, to see ourselves as just so small. And can I care about the rivers the way I care about my blood. <clears throat> Can I care about another human being the way I would care about my child or my sister, brother? I think that the contemplations on the body really call us to enlarge our understanding of what this body is. So, so this, this reflection on interdependence, interconnection, is a deep part of 
the Buddha's teaching on um, what's called not-self, not-self. The Buddha pointed to all of our experience and said, anything that we can experience through the senses, including the thinking mind, the conceptual mind, is characterized by by three things. First of all, it's impermanent. And we've been really looking deeply at impermanence. Looking at the impermanence of sensation, the impermanence of emotions experienced in the body. The second thing he said is, it's there's a word in Pali, dukkha. So dukkha has a whole range of translations, and and one of them is uh, unreliable, unsatisfactory, or unfulfilling. Doesn't mean that things are not beautiful, but it means that ultimately they can't fulfill us because. It's impermanent. The experience is impermanent. So something that we see, a sunset, um, an object, it can't fulfill us because uh, it's impermanent or our feelings about it changes. I'm sure we've all had this experience of, you know, getting something that we really wanted whether it's an object or a, a trip somewhere, you know, it could be fun, it could be beautiful, it could be great, but, but then we, you know, then that, that hit of happiness passes. So, uh, so it can't ultimately and enduringly fulfill us. Um, nothing that we can experience through the senses can enduringly fulfill us. And then the third thing the Buddha talked about is anatta, or non-self, this quality, that everything that we experience is contingent, it's, it's dependent on something else, including our very selves, the way we normally think of ourselves, this body, this, this mind, this thinking mind. So, so in the Buddhist teachings and practices, we look at these three characteristics and we, when we discover, when we truly see clearly that everything is changing, there's nothing we can hold on to, everything is dependently arisen, it, 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 it's contingent on other things, it exists interdependently, <clears throat> then we, we stop identifying with them. We stop saying, you know, this is, 
this is what I am, this is who I am. And we, we look back to our experience and ask, well, you know, if this is changing, if this body is changing, is this truly what I am? Can I truly find, um, you know, ultimate fulfillment or enduring peace in this body, in this mind? And what we discover through this experience, through this inquiry, so I'm not asking you to believe me or to take this intellectually, but it's, it's discovered through this process of, of looking at experience, is that who we truly are is not this body is not even all bodies, but it's the life itself, the life itself from which it emerges. So, um, and, that, and that we, we can't hold on to any of it. When we cease trying to cling to the whole process, then we find something enduring within it, underneath it, uh, from which it emerges. There's a poem by Rumi that, um, that points to this. You know, we keep, we keep um, kind of looking to things that we can touch, we can feel, we can point to, to identify with as who we truly are. Uh, Rumi says there is a milk fountain inside you don't walk around with an empty bucket you are the source of milk you have a channel into the ocean and yet you ask for water from a little pool. There is a basket of fresh bread on your head, and yet you go door to door asking for crusts. Knock on your inner door, no other, sloshing knee-deep in fresh river water, yet you keep wanting a drink from other people's water bags. Water is everywhere around you, but you see only barriers that keep you from water. I've been trying to to say a lot and so I'm going to put a little summary around it before I continue so we see ourselves as very small and so we expand our, our sense of understanding of what is this body how is this mind formed 
that, that we are the universe. And we are more than the universe. We are the source of the universe. That's what I'm, I'm pointing to now, that who we truly are is, is that which the Buddha called uncreated. He called it the unborn or the undying. So I'm going to um, ask you to participate in a little experiment uh, with me. Uh, and it's, um, it's an experiment uh, that was developed by Douglas Harding. Douglas Harding was uh, a Zen teacher uh, in the 20th century. And um, uh, he developed a number of of, of experiments which kind of point to this essential nature of who we are. And so I'd ask you to please close your eyes. And I'm going to ask a number of questions for you to consider. Just listen to the question, take it in, and then just be with the question. Um, Let the question kind of inhabit you. Going by your own present experience in this moment, not by memory, not by hearsay or imagination. How big are you? What shape are you? Could you be any size or shape? Do you have boundaries? Is there a place where you stop and the world begins? Or is there nothing dividing you from the world? You can probably hear a range of sounds from distant to near ones. Do you hear any sound right where you are? Don't sounds come and go in silence where you are? You experience sensations such as warmth, discomfort, pleasure, breathing, and so on. Do these make you into something at center, solid and limited, 
a thing separate from the world around you? Is there anything solid and unchanging at your center? Or do these sensations come and go in aware, no-thingness? Whatever has happened in your past, are you not now empty and clear? The capacity for whatever is happening now. The past does not solidify you at center. How big is a sensation? Does it define or limit you? Attend to your right foot. Think of what it looks like. Isn't the image just a memory, a thought, since you cannot see your foot at the moment? But what about the actual sensation of your foot? Your experience of it in this present moment, putting aside memory. What color is that sensation? What shape? What size? How far away is it? From where? Where exactly are its boundaries? Does it have a clear edge? Is this sensation where your being stops? Are you limited to it? Somehow imprisoned inside it? Isn't that sensation happening in boundless awareness? How many arms, legs, if any, can you detect? How big are you? Can you not nevertheless say, I am? Is your sense of being any less now than when you think of yourself as something, as something or other? Is it perhaps much stronger now? Sensing a boundlessness. Is this sense of being dependent on any of your senses. Has this I amness, I excuse me, I amness, any features 
which could link it with your with your human aspect or anything else or that could separate it from I amness in any way so has this I amness any features which could separate it from I amness make it distinct or separate in any way So, please open your eyes. So this this exercise points us to this um, this awareness, which is not personal, doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a language. It doesn't have a gender. It doesn't have a shape. There's no distinction between this space of awareness in any being from any other being. There simply is awareness. And this this awareness or ground of being manifests in the body, it manifests in um, the trees, it manifests in the sky, in the clouds, in the flowers, in living, in dying. All of these come out of this essential beingness which this exercise was pointing to. So when we are holding, when we're clinging to an identity with body, with personality, with ideas, with opinions, we, we're obstructed from opening to this boundlessness, who we truly are. And yet when we enter into the body with this openness and curiosity and love, we can, we can experience this manifestation of life. In, a, in an intimate and loving and profound way. Here's a poem, another poem by Mary Oliver called Mindful. Every day 
I see or I hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans <coughs> shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. Well, let's sit for a few minutes.
Time for walking practice. And uh, there's a small group meeting. And we can meet in the library. I think they're, they're finished. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.